Praise the Lord. Uh, I'm going to teach for a few weeks, uh, at least probably the next two or three or four weeks, on faith. You know, of course, I am a faith teacher, and that's what I believe in. And I believe without faith, you know, you can't do anything. But with faith, nothing's impossible. But, and I am completely convinced that with what's going on today, and I've been uh, kind of talking a little bit about that lately, I believe from what all we're seeing, what the prophetic things that we're getting, and now then the government is also confirming it, you know, that these devastating plagues that's coming to our country, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's so scary, you know, to think about that when Cheryl went on the Internet the other night and looked, uh, how many million dollars have they given different states? Okay, so the United States of America has given $100 million just to the states to help uh, get ready for the bird flu, avian flu. flu. And uh, then they've given, uh, what, nearly $300 million to the rest of the world to try to help prepare for this. And then she went in and looked at some of the places, starting in Vietnam and over to Turkey and, and Iran and Iraq and all those places, and now then in Africa, some places where the avian flu has already hit, and uh, several of the places that it hit, the fatality rate has been 100%. Not 50% or not one out of four. They all died. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. So, <clears throat> we were talking the other night about this getting... In fact, I was talking with Ty Davenport. He, he is a... Uh, you know, a vet. Uh, he's a doctor of medicine with a veterinarian. And he said just a few years ago, he told what plague it was. I don't remember, but it was in dogs. Parvo? Parvo? Parvo. Parvo? Whatever it was. He said when it hit and started, he said in one year, it went around the entire world in one year. So he said he was called the other day to be on a team. He's a retired uh, vet. And uh, he raised his cattle out here on his ranch, but he was called by the agency to ask if he would be involved in checking for this flu virus in birds. And he told them, absolutely not. He's not going to have anything to do with it because for those people that are checking, he says, when you touch that virus, if you're not walking in faith, you got it. And he said, you won't even know you got it for 48 hours. And then after you've got it, it's a very short lift until you die. And right now, there's nothing to fight it off. If you get it, you're going to die. They also said that they have, what, 13,000 doctors? 13,000 doctors in England. Well, it's in the European group. Or in the European. It's a European group that have 13,000 doctors. That are working on that thing, yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, they say it's coming to America. You know, they're, they're, they got uh, stations where they're checking the birds that are coming in and all the migratory birds and everything that they're checking, all of those to see because what they say that if this virus or when this virus becomes airborne from those birds coming in, that's when it will drift all over the whole United States and it won't be no time till the whole thing will be infected. And, of course, if the federal government on their government websites on the avian flu is telling you it's coming, and telling you what the consequences are going to be. If the government is telling us this, now the prophets are telling us this too. They've been telling us this for four or five years, that this thing's coming, this plague. 
is coming. But now the government is telling us it's coming. And they're telling you on their websites what to do to prepare for this flu. If it comes, they say you may very well not be able to go to work. You may be quarantined to your home, you know, and you need to prepare with water and food. And you need to be able to have water on hand because it said that it may be so bad that the people running the electrical plants might not be able to run the plants. And if they don't, electricity may go off. And same thing with water plants. People, there may be so many people afflicted that there won't be people to run the water plants, so there will be no running water in your homes. So prepare, they're telling you. Now, who knows what's going to happen? But if the government is telling us these things are happening, I think the church needs to learn how to walk by faith. You know, if we know how to walk by faith, now, you know, there was a prophet the other day said, as I was watching him on the prophecy club, he said that there will be men in the church that their babies will die. And they will be carrying their dead children in their arms. And he said the reason those children are dying is because those men were not nothing but Sunday Christians. They were not really true 24-7 believers in Jesus. And he said their children are going to die. You know, it's amazing that God made a statement. Uh, just, I mean, I'm asked to come to hospitals all the time to pray for people that are 30, 40, 50 years old with terminal cancer. And people call me and want me to go, and I say, well, who is this? Well, it's my wife, or it's my husband. Well, how long were you married? Well, we were married 10 years or 20 years or whatever. Uh, well, uh, are you married right now? Well, we're separated for the last three years. You know, uh, we're we're thinking about getting a divorce. We can't live together. Can't get along. Did you go to church? Well, not as much as we should have. We did go once in a while. Did you study the word? Well, not as much as we should. I said, let's draw it down to a basic. Did you really study the word or did you just look at it and read it like a novel once in a while? Well, I guess I really never did study it. I might have read it a little once in a while. How often? Well, I mean, you know, my Bible study class was 30 minutes long on Sunday morning. When I went, I just went once in a while. But I tried to go to worship service every Sunday. Hey, those are Sunday Christians. And they're putting other gods before God. And he says, just think, in Deuteronomy 8, 19, way back under the law, God said, if you put any gods before me, you shall surely perish. That's scary, isn't it? So you want to know why people die early? And people fail, just like I did for years, they fail to put this together, that you as a Sunday Christian, I mean, you may be a professor of theology at the seminary, but you ain't putting God first. You're just down there to make money. You're down there just teaching His Word. And you may not even really be a man that believes the Word. I remember a doctor of theology that I talked to years ago. His wife had cancer. And he was our interim pastor at our Baptist church. His favorite book was the book of John. I mean, he was a New Testament doctor of theology, and the book of John was his favorite book. He could quote dozens of scriptures in that book. And one night when he was there at our church, I asked him, I said, Sir, you've been our interim pastor for about three months, and your wife has never come with you. Are you married? Oh, yeah. I said, well, why don't you bring your wife once in a while? He said, well, Thurman, I can't. I said, why? 
He said, well, she has cancer. I said, well, what have you done about it? Well, we've had surgery a couple of times, and we've had chemo and radiation. I said, have you done anything else? He said, what else should we do? I said, how about James 5.14? A doctor of theology from the seminary, New Testament professor said, I mean, you don't really think that works today, do you? It makes you want to throw your hands up in the air. And, well, I, and I did. And I said, well, do you believe Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10 works today? Well, yeah, of course. I said, then how can salvation work and the rest of it don't work? That's what I don't understand. How can one piece of the book work and the rest of it don't work? So you want to know why we're in trouble in the church? We've got men like that teaching our men that's out here teaching in the, in the churches. And so you want to know why there's no power in the church? They don't nobody believe this book. I'll take that back, Lord. Got to be a few of them believe it, but, you know, uh, not very many of us. You know, so anyway, faith is a hard thing to walk with. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord clearly told us, Paul told us when he's talking to Timothy, that in the last days, the Spirit expressly teaches that men will come teaching a lie. You know, that they'll get away from the truth. And they'll tell you all kinds of things are wrong or right. They tell you, I mean, you know, Paul tells us, you know, that there's false prophets that'll come and say it's, it's okay to live in sexual sin. There's not anything wrong with it, you know. But they'll say that, you know, they'll forbid you to marry. They'll forbid you to eat certain things. But, you know, God says in His Word that everything's clean. All foods are clean as long as we sanctify it with the Word of God in prayer with thanksgiving. In fact, I went up to... In fact, there was a man called me here a while back and said, uh, I own an internet station, and a man that was in here the other day recommended I get some of your teachings and put them on my internet radio. And he said, I want to know, can I do that? I said, sure. I said, I've got them on my website already, and they're 15-minute shows, 13 minutes and 30 seconds. And I said, if that will fit into your format, I said, just download whatever you want to and put them on there. And he said, that would be perfect. And so he did, and he started, and he put them on there one time a day, and he had such a tremendous response to it, he put them on there two times a day. And so uh, while I, I, he said, come to see me sometime. So a few weeks ago, I drove by there. When I went in, I met him and his wife. Walked in, she said, well, how would you like to have a bottle of water? I said, great. She handed it to me, and she took one. She opened it and drank it, started drinking hers. I stood there a minute, and I said, ma'am, are you a Christian? Well, she said, of course I'm a Christian. I said, we didn't bless that bottle of water. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, the Lord clearly told I said, the king, it's not me. The king says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, sanctify everything with prayer and thanksgiving. So he's talking about foods and drinks there. So I said, you should never take a drink of anything or a bite of food without sanctifying with the word of God and prayer. I said, you didn't do that. I said, would you repent and tell God you're sorry? She said, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I know I should have said thank you for that. I said, you got any physical problems? She said, I got diabetes. I said, oh, so if you repent, I'll pray for you. And you will do a whole lot better, I guarantee you. So I prayed for both of them while I was there. And today I went by there and both of them was doing lots better. And when I walked in, the first thing she said, praise God, I'm doing But she said, I bless my water every time I take one. Isn't that amazing? But see, the king is the one who told us what to do, right? 
If the king tells us what to do, I think we need to do what he says. Not part of it, all of it. And when we do, then and only then can we walk in faith. Because without being obedient to his word and doing what he says, then you're sinning. And he says clearly in Psalms 66, 18, as well as John 9, 31, that he does not hear the prayer of a sinner. And so when you step out of total obedience to his word, you're sinning until you repent. He don't hear your prayer. That's what the king says. So I want him to hear my prayer, don't you? I most definitely do. Well, let's see what he says about this faith walk. Let's go back to the Old Testament and let's go to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold... His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. H-A-B. Habakkuk 2, 4. Now, if in the Old Testament, the word faith, in, at least in the King James Bible, in the Old Testament, I think is only used, I forget exactly, but it's not been about two or three or four times. <coughs> The word faith in the King James. Now, in other translations, it's used several more times. But in the King James Bible, the original King James that I use, the word faith is only used just a very few times. But when you come over to the New Testament, starting with the book of Matthew, it's used 247 times. So we got a new covenant, a different covenant. And our covenant, he's just given us a preliminary here in Habakkuk chapter 2. The just shall live by faith. So if the just, which is us, you know what just means to me? It means that just as, once I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I have been made just as if I had never sinned. Isn't that a great thing to know? I mean, you ain't never sinned. You're clean. You're white as snow. Now that he expects you to keep that gown white as snow. Unfortunately, we don't do a very good job of that. I certainly didn't. But nobody does. But I am learning a little bit more now about how to keep my robe white. And I want it to stay that way. Now then, when you come to Romans chapter 1, that's the only place I've got to, uh, that in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. But in the New Testament, we've got three more experiences of that. And one of them is in Romans 1.17. Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. What does it mean, reveal from faith to faith? That means from the day you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior until you go out of this world. Or until you walk out of faith. From faith to faith. From the beginning of your faith to the end of your faith. Now, if your faith began at like mine did at age 11, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at 11... But I, of course, learned a whole lot more about him since I was 11. But my faith is going to go until the day he's finished with me on this earth and he brings me out of this. And then I will take my last step by faith into the kingdom of heaven and be with him forever. Romans 1.17. So from the beginning of your faith to the end of your faith. Now then, mine started at 11. Now, I was at work one time several years ago when I walked in and there was a lady, of course, that supposedly said she was a Christian lady. She was a, actually my secretary and the boss's and the president's secretary. But both of us used her. 
And I walked in one day, asked her how she was doing, and she said, Thurman, we had a, a man yesterday at church, 65 years old, accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I said, praise God. And she said, doesn't that make you feel a little cheated? I thought, make me feel a little cheated? I said, if there's anybody cheated, it was that guy. I mean, she said, well, just he got to do what he wanted to do for 65 years. And then he got to see. She didn't know who Jesus was, did she? Didn't have a clue. I said, ma'am, you need to get saved. I said, you need to get saved. I said, you don't know the same king I know. I said, I ain't never, ever had so much fun in my life. When I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I said, my walk with God has been absolutely the most exciting, wonderful life I could ever have. And, of course, the more I learned about him, the more exciting it became. I mean, every day my walk with the Lord becomes more and more exciting because I'm learning more and more about how to walk in his faith. Walk like he says. And life is fun. Do you know how much fun it is to wake up everyone and not even have to be concerned that you're 67 years old? That that's just a number? You know, that, hey, I can do anything I can do when I was 40, you know, or, I, or 30. I can stay up all night long if I want to. We can run and play and do everything we want to do. And my wife's trying to keep up with me, but she can't. <laughs> the day uh, when we started over at the house, she, she said, I'm going to run. You're going to go with me? So I let her have about a... 20 or 30 yard head start, her and the dog, and then I just kind of trotted right up beside her, and I said, oh, let's go, girl, let's go. (laughs) Oh, my goodness gracious. To be so young, you know, to be so young, oh, and have such a young wife, see, that's the good thing about it. That's why God gave me a young woman, because he knew one my age couldn't even begin to keep up with me. There's no way. So anyway, it's wonderful to learn how to walk by faith. You know, you don't ever wake up in the morning, never, ever even, you don't go to bed at night thinking about, oh, I'm old, or I can't do anything, or I'm going to be sick, or I'm going to be afflicted. You don't never, you walk by faith. You walk by the Word of God. And so you go to bed at night, I don't care what time it is. Oh yeah, well, that's right, Sunday night, yeah, Sunday night, we left here at church Sunday night, and we went home. Cheryl and I worked on things at the minister center. Well, nobody out there. Everybody's gone that night. Everybody was gone. So we, she worked on things. I worked on things, and we worked on things till about five or five thirty in the morning. You know, and finally, you know, I looked at my watch and I thought, goodness gracious, alive! It's time to go to bed. And so we went over to the house and went to bed. You know, and then I slept a little while, and of course, she slept all day long. <laughs> And I got up about noon or 11 o'clock, whatever it was, phone rang first time at 10. And then about 11 something, I finally got up and I went and worked all day. And about, uh, I don't know what time it was, she finally got up after she had her beauty nap, you know, and she came over and she said, I don't see how you can go on such little sleep. But this morning, it's 2.30 before we went to bed this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, at least 2.30. Hey, I mean, you know, praise the Lord. Walking by faith is fun. You know, walking as a son of God by faith is fun. You know, you got to realize that by faith, just like you told me a while ago, I said, what can you do by faith? She said, anything. I looked over and I said, you know, you say that, but you don't believe that. <laughs> it's hard to believe that, isn't it? Yes, it, we know what the Bible says. We know what the king said, but we really don't believe what he said. 
We've got to get to the point where we believe what he said is true. Now, if this bird flu comes, and not if, when, they say it is definitely coming. If this thing comes, in fact, that one prophet, I forget what he was, what, uh, I believe the prophet that I heard, one of them, he said, when the bird flu comes to America, it will infect 70 million people. 70 million. Now then, <clears throat> I don't know what percentage of those are going to die, but let's just say a third of them die. That's 25 million people. That's a lot of folks. He says the hospitals will be running over. They won't be doctors. And guess what? When they talked about no doctors, you know what Ty told me? He's a doctor. He said, if it hits, I, I ain't going to go, I ain't gonna go do, minister to nobody because anybody's got it. You touch them, you're going to get it. He said, it's that contagious. In fact, they say that if you have that disease... And you reach up and touch a doorknob to open a door. That disease will stay on that doorknob for six days alive. Anybody that touches that doorknob for the next six days will get that virus. That's why they say you will have to stay at home. They won't let you out. That's why they say that it could very well be that they will bring martial law in. Where you won't be able to do anything. They're going to take total control. You ain't going to be able to go nowhere. You ain't going to be able to do nothing. They said, be prepared to either work from home or not work. Isn't that going to be awesome? And, of course, the prophet says that's going to cause the failure of our economic system. Just that two or three months, they say that's going to hit the nation. Of course, they say it's going to hit with a wave of six to eight weeks, and then there will be another wave of it right behind that one. So, how would it affect you? I don't want to scare you, but I'm going to teach you how to walk by faith. You know, how would it affect you if the government filed and said, said if this thing hit and they said you cannot go out of your house, you must stay at home until further notice? You got enough food in the house to last for two months? You got enough water stored up to drink for the next two or three months? Have you? you know, if you don't have, you better start working on it because the government says this thing's coming. Yeah, there's a couple of them. Yeah, avionflu.com is one of the places. One of the dot go gov gov Okay, avion just avionflu dot gov gov. And then there's another one, pandemic dot gov. Okay, those are two of the websites the federal government has put out to tell you what to do, what to expect. And everything, and Cheryl's been looking at these and reading information, and they're keeping us abreast of what's going on all over the world. But it's coming to America. What? Pandemic? Oh, avion, A-V-I-O-N. Okay, A-V-I-A-N. Avionflu.gov, G-O-V. And then the other one's pandemic. dot uh, gov, at gov. <clears throat> but anyway, those uh, those will give you an idea. You can read it for yourself, and then you can make your own decision. But the reason that I'm warning you or telling you because I believe since this prophet, or several prophets, 
have been telling these things for the last two or three or four years that this thing is coming to this country. And, and of course, it's because of our sin. Actually, it's because of wickedness. And, you know, the world, just like today, just give you an idea when you think about what's going on. I was at a store today buying some materials and things when these two young boys are out there helping me. Uh, I mean, here I am, you know, uh, 67 years old, man. I'm just throwing that sheet rock on there with them, you know, and uh, working. And one of the boys said, man, this stuff's heavy. I said, no, this stuff ain't heavy. This piece of cake. And uh, he just grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. And a little while I said, you sure do grumble a lot. He said, yeah, I know. He said, I, I, I do grumble about everything. I said, would you tell me about your medical history? He said, what do you mean my medical history? He said, what makes you think i got a medical history? I said, there's a principle in the Word of God, and it makes no difference whether you're a child of God or a child of the world. The principles work for every human being. I said, it says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. So as much as you grumble and complain, I know you have a medical history. I said, how old are you, son? He said, 21. I said, have you been in a hospital before? He said, yeah, I've had four hernias. 21. Already had four. 21. And uh, he said something else about grumbling. He said, well, I, you know, I have to grumble because I have to spend all my money for child support. I said, oh, you've been married too. No, I ain't never been married. I said, so you're paying child support? I said, that means you had sex with some girl out of wedlock and brought a baby into the world? Well, yeah, what's wrong with that? I said, everything. Everything. And he said, you know... I don't believe this stuff. I said, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. I said, you know, what I'm telling you, it's, it's happening to you. And I said, everything I've told you, it's already confirmed. I knew what had happened to you because of what you're doing. I said, you know, how do you think I know these things? I said, I know these things because I read and study the Word of God. I said, you know, you boys need to come to know Jesus. And then you all need to repent of your sins. You need to change and you need to start reading the Word of God. I don't believe that stuff. And they just walked off after they got my truck loaded. Well, let me tell you, when all this fluent stuff comes, when you have that kind of knowledge and wisdom and they're dying in your hands, they're going to be looking for you. Where is that guy that told me everything I'd ever did? They're going to want to know where you are. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's coming. We need to learn what it is to walk by faith. The the, uh, uh, avian flu, don't bother me a bit. I am not going to wipe my hand off to touch a doorknob because that flu can't touch a man that's walking in obedience to God's Word, walking in total faith. It cannot touch you. The king said it. The king made me a guarantee in his Word that if I will keep myself clean and pure, that no devil can touch me. He made me that guarantee in 1 John 5.18. And then in Psalms 91... The king made me a guarantee that if I'll make him the Most High God my dwelling place, and I will say of the Lord, He's my strength, He will protect me from the snare of the devil. And no plague and no sickness and no disease shall come near my dwelling place. And this is my dwelling place. This is where I dwell. Well, if the king made me that promise, how many of you believe God can lie to you? Not a hand went up. Isn't that amazing? Now, if God can't lie to us, can we believe what's written in this book? Yes. Yeah. But if he says, if you put anything before me, you shall surely perish. you think he meant that too? Yes, yes I do. So I guess I better not put my job before him. I better put him first in everything I do, right? Yes. 
That's only if I want to live. Now, see, there's a lot of Christian men, and I've run into some of them, fine Christian men, you know, that have lived a good, clean life, good moral life. But they come to church every Sunday. They tithe. You know, they, they're good men. They're good to their wives, good to their children. But they only give God one day a week. One day, Sunday. And then Monday through Friday or Saturday, they run their business. I mean, a Bible study at work? Give me a break. You might offend somebody. Talk about Jesus in the workplace? No, 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 no. Can't do that. Might offend somebody. So if you're a Sunday Christian only, let me tell you, that will bring sickness and disease to your house. That will kill you. Now then, there's a lot of people in the church, just like, like I tell you, the people that call me, will you go pray for somebody? Okay, how old is he? 45. Is he a Christian? Well, yeah, he said he was. Well, did he go to church? Well, I've seen him there a few times in my life. So you want me to go down there and pray for him, expect God to heal him? Well, guess what you got to do? you got your work cut out for you. Now, if you're going to go down there, you ain't going to just go down there and walk in and say to a man like that and say, Be healed in the name of Jesus. Expect him to get up and walk out. It ain't going to happen. Why is he there? He's there because of his sin. He's there because of his disobedience to do what God says. And if you will do what the Lord says, and then you will teach him, and you will bring him into a state of repentance, unless this guy has already committed to sin unto death. Now then, I mean, I read that to somebody the other day, and they said, a sin unto death? I have never heard that in my life. I said, how long have you been a Christian? Well, 30 years at least. I said, and you ain't never read First John? I thought I had. Well, obviously it didn't soak in. Because it says there is a sin unto death. And he said, I tell you, you need not pray about that. If they've committed a sin unto death, it's over. You can come to the Lord and say, Lord, please, please. He said, no, that's it. I've done, he hadn't produced no fruit for me. He did this, or this was a sin unto death. So that's it. There ain't no use in you to pray. I'm going to take him out. What can you do if he's committed a sin unto death? Nothing. It's over. Can you pray? Yeah, you can. But we want to know why. Just like I had a Baptist preacher call me the other night on Sunday night, and I talked to him till 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And he said, I'm, my life's been transformed, my wife and I both, by what we've been teaching, what you've been teaching. We're listening to your CDs and DVDs. But he said, before I start teaching this in my Baptist church, I want to be guaranteed that I can get everybody healed. I said, let me ask you, you might as well hang up your shingle right now and go to the house. He said, what do you mean? I said, how many years have you been preaching? And he told me about 20. I said, when people come in that's lost and you preach one time salvation, do they get saved? He said, well, no. He said, some may, but said most don't. I said, you ever see anybody come to church every Sunday for 10 years and then all of a sudden one day they walk down an aisle and got saved? He said, oh, yeah. I said, isn't that amazing? 10 years you preach salvation before they finally understood it. I said, that's what faith is. And until you realize, I said, you're never going to get to the point where you can get everybody healed because the Word of God says in Luke 6:40 that none of us is greater than our Master. Now, if we study hard enough and do exactly everything the Master did, we can become like the Master. But I said, if Jesus couldn't get them all healed, I said, it says over in his own hometown of Nazareth, when Jesus went over there, there he 
anointed with the Holy Ghost and power without measure, could do no mighty works except heal a few sick folks by laying hands on them. I said, he marveled at their unbelief. I said, if Jesus couldn't get them healed, forget it. You're not going to get them healed. So I said, just go out there and do the work, works that he sent you to do and be thankful for everyone that, op- that opens their heart and mind and gets healed. I said, what if you don't get but one or two healed? That'll be good. They'll be thankful forever. But I said, if you get a hundred of them healed and a hundred of them die. The hundred, I said, I remember one time I, Kenneth Hagin, I was at a meeting and Kenneth Hagin was, uh, had been preaching for a couple hours. They had a healing line. There was two or three hundred people up on the front row. I mean, in the front. And he was going down there touching them. And he touched one guy, and the guy fell down. And, of course, in a minute, somebody said, Brother Hagin, this guy died. He said, well, take him outside. He said, but Brother Hagin, he's dead. He said, I can't help it. The same Jesus is going to heal this one. He said, he didn't heal that one. He said, take him outside, you know. So they picked the guy and took him outside. And he, later, somebody said, you have no compassion. He said, hey, I'm not the author of the healing or the death. I'm just an instrument, and when I touch him, if he heals him, that's his business. If he kills him, that's his business. You know. That's the way he looked at it. You know. And I thought, he's been in this business a long time. At that time, I'd virtually never seen nothing. But I've seen some of these men, you know, if a man can walk down through there and touch him. In fact, the reason I went to, the first time I went to one of those meetings have any of you ever heard of a woman by the name of Leah Valentine? Anybody ever heard of her? Nobody has. That's awesome. She, oh, you've heard of her. Yeah. She, Miss Leah Valentine, she was Miss USA back in about 1980 or something like that. Miss USA. You don't get to be Miss USA unless you're a beautiful woman and a smart woman. You don't know where I'm coming from? Only beautiful, smart women get to be Miss USA. Well, she got to be. And she made God a promise. She said, if you'll let me win this, I'll always serve you. And she won it. And then they came in and said, oh, you know, you're so beautiful and so talented. If you'll just come to New York City, we'll give you a brand new Corvette. You come up there and sign these contracts and we will make you a soap opera queen. So guess what she did? She accepted a new Corvette. She's on the way to New York City to sign the contracts, and she gets up into Kansas or wherever it was, Missouri, somewhere, and a car comes all the way from the other side, comes around, and comes across and hits her, turns her car over, knocks her out. She goes flying through the air, and when the car stops, she's laying on the ground, tore all to pieces. I mean, this hip right here was crushed. She, her face was just tore all to pieces. She had like a hundred, I think, either a hundred or two hundred stitches in her face. This girl... When she got out of the hospital, her backslidden Baptist brother took her to a Kenneth Hagin crusade. She was in no, I mean, she had, any of you that knows anything about medicine knows what happened when you put a body in a body cast for three to four months. When you cut that cast off, what does that body look like? A shriveled up prune. That's what she looked like when her brother took her to that meeting that night. And he took her in a wheelchair because her daddy, which was a surgeon, told her that she had never walked without a hip transplant. And she went to that meeting, and her brother took her down there after Kenneth Hagin preached, and then he asked for people to come by for prayer. And they, her brother rolled her down in a wheelchair, <clears throat> and she had a pair of crutches, and she stood up on those crutches. And she said people were coming down the line. He was touching them, saying, Be healed in the name of Jesus. 
and said some of them were falling down. So she said, now, Lord, don't let me fall down when he touches me because I can't get back up. Is that any faith in that? No, not at all. Not at all. Not an ounce of faith in that. But God had a plan for this woman. When Kenneth Hagin touched her, she said it felt like somebody hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. She said, I just want, I don't remember a thing. She said, I just went down on the floor. She said, I have no idea how long I was out. All I know is when I woke up, I'm staggering down the aisle over there like I am tone drunk on something. And she said, I'm staggering. And after a while, I just sat down. And when I sat down, I look at myself and my body don't have a wrinkle on it. And she said, a little usher walked up and said, ma'am, I don't guess you'll need these crutches anymore. And she said, I stood up and there was no pain. My body was not shriveled. Somebody gave me a mirror and I looked and my face was as beautiful as it was before the accident. What kind of God do we serve? He's awesome, isn't he? Miss Leah Valentine jumped up and down out and she started screaming, jumping and praising God and dancing like she'd never danced. She said, Lord, I'll never serve the devil again. I'll serve you forever. She went to Rainbow Bible School, graduated in two years, and went out on the mission field. When I saw her ten years later, she's still a very beautiful, attractive daughter of the King preaching the Word of God. And then you talk about deception. She came to Dallas. And she married Robert Tilton. And just a few weeks later, they were divorced. Isn't that amazing? You think the devil can't get you? Yeah, he can get you. Even when you've lived in the supernatural realms. Awesome, isn't it? Awesome. But God still loves us, doesn't he? And he does miracles with imperfect children. She's done a lot of good. Anyway, I thought, you know, if this guy... Kenneth Hagin has that kind of faith. I need to go learn under him. So, you know, I had never been in a Baptist church where I'd ever seen a miracle in my life. So since I had never seen a miracle, never seen a healing in a Baptist church, and never seen any of the miraculous of God, I thought it's time to get out of the Baptist church and go somewhere where something's happening. And so I started going to these places and listening to men where I heard people say miracles happened. Hey, I mean, if you ain't never seen a miracle, you ain't never seen a healing. I'm not interested in what you've got to say. You know, if you've never seen nobody get saved, you ain't never led nobody to Jesus, you ain't never laid hands on the sick, you ain't never cast out a devil, I'm not interested in what you've got to teach me. You know, I, want, I want to see people that have walked in the power of God. Don't you? Absolutely. I want to see people that are leading people to Jesus. I want to see people that are walking in faith. I want to see people that's walking holy. That they can say, hey, praise God. I got a hold of this stuff five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. I've seen fifty people healed since then. I've seen ten people delivered from demons. I ain't had a flu or a cold or nothing in ten years. Praise God. The Word of God works. Them's the kind of people I want to talk to. Those are people that are learning how to walk by faith. The just shall live by faith. What does it mean, the just, which is us? We've been washed in the blood. Were we all wicked sinners at one time? Absolutely. And some of us in the church are still wicked sinners. But it's time we stop that nonsense. It's time we start saying, they say, hey, you know, that girl there, that guy there, I mean, that's them some holy people, you know. If you don't want to hear about Jesus, don't go over and talk to them at the water fountain. Because they're going to talk to you about Jesus. Hey. That's the way we're going to have to start being known. When somebody sees you, I mean, I think about here, when I was down there at Sky Chef, we changed uh, soap companies, 
And whenever they did, they went, the big boys were up there discussing it. He said, who is your regional engineer over your area? He said, Thurman Scrivener. Oh, he said, that guy used to be the regional engineer for the Marriott Corporation. I've dealt with him a lot. He said, that's that guy that's always talking about Jesus. Amen. Hey, can you think of a better way to be known? Hey, he ain't the guy that tells the dirtiest joke. You know, he's the guy that was always talking about Jesus. That's the way I want to be known. Praise God. You know, that's, and that's the way every one of us is Christian. That's the just living by faith. We're talking about our king. We're out there talking about that. In fact, one of the men goes to church here. He said, uh, the other day I went over and done a, oh, some work for a man here in the Dallas area. And uh, at church last Sunday, he stood in line to tell me this. He said, you know a man by this name? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, I did some work for him over at his home the other day. And said, so we got to talking and asked him who he worked for. And he told me. He said, he worked for Skyshift. I said, Skyshift? said, you might know a guy I know. And he said, Thurman Scrivener. He said, oh, yeah. He said, I know him a long time ago. He said, of course, this guy's one of the big wheels with the corporation. And he said, one day, Thurman came out and said, my car had a company car and it quit running. So he said, Thurman, I called. And he didn't have nobody to send, so he just come out to get me himself. And so we come out there and said, we sat out behind the car and he talked to me about Jesus for an hour before he'd even take me home. <laughs> He said, I know that guy. And, and the man that was here, he said, well, he ain't changed a bit. Only now instead of talking to you about an hour, he talks to you three hours. <laughs> That's the way we want to be known as Christians. We are the just living and walking by faith. Amen. So, does people receive what you tell them? Not all of them. A lot of them are not going to believe. But the just shall live by faith. Then in, we go to Galatians 3. Galatians 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. That's Galatians 3.11. Then Hebrews 10.38. Hebrews 10.38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now let me tell you something. This is going to be hard for us to swallow. When you put your faith in God, He's happy with you. When you put your faith in man, He is not happy with you because you're drawing back. You want to know, this is going to be a hard statement. You know why so many Christians die with sickness and disease? Because they sinned, number one, which brought the sickness and disease upon them, and they don't want to hear that for sure. But they've sinned, and then instead of going to God to repent and ask Him to heal them, they go to the doctor. They go to the doctor, and then they have chemo, radiation, and everything else. And then when the doctor finally says, after they've spent their million dollars, and you ain't got no more money, and now all we can do is send you home to die, then they call you and want you to come get them healed. You know what your chances are getting those people healed? It's very low. Very low. Why won't people do what God says? That's a good question. I'll tell you why. The lack of knowledge of the Word of God. We don't know. We do not believe these mighty things that's written in this book. You know, God, you know, He's a good old boy up yonder. He would never send anybody that's a good guy to hell. I mean, you take John Doe. I mean, that guy, he was as good as they come. He treated his children good. I'd never seen him get angry with his wife. He was the most wonderful man. 
He went to church on Easter and Christmas, you know. And he never used the word of profanity. He didn't smoke or none of those kinds. He was really a great guy. He was good to his grandchildren. I mean, yeah, every once in a while, you know, he might do something a little bit wrong. But, you know, you know, just because he didn't go to church, God wouldn't send a man like that to hell, would he? That's absolutely right. Because you rejected the blood of Jesus. Do you know, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, if I could show you what you and I look like without the blood of Jesus covering us, you know what we would look like? We would look like a filthy rag. Filthy. I mean, as good as you can be, you would still look like a filthy rag in the presence of God without the blood of Jesus. And no man can come to heaven except to be washed in that blood. Now, I realize a lot of people out there don't believe that. But those people that don't believe that, they're going to believe it one second after they take their last breath. They're going to believe it. But it's going to be too late. It says, now the just, and I'm going to tell you with what's coming, if you, as we, the church, I'm going to tell you, if you and I are walking in faith, like this book says, the just, which is us, with all of our sins repented, that walking holy before God, we shall live by faith, then the Word of God is what we're going to live by. And the Word says, if we're doing what He says, we're not sinning, we're keeping ourselves from evil, the evil one, which is where all sickness and disease comes from, cannot touch you. Is that a great promise? Sure. And as long as you believe that, you walk right through. And they said, Thurman, don't go in that hospital. Everybody in there is infected with a bird flu. I said, ain't no big deal with me. I'm going to go in there and try to, I'm going to go in there and teach them what the Word of God says. And everybody that will repent, I'll touch them and lay hands on them, drive that devil out, and they'll get healed. In the name of Jesus. Now see, when it comes, they're going to need men and women that have that kind of faith. And that should be the church. That's supposed to be the church of the living God that's supposed to be able to have that kind of faith to go do those kind of things. You, when you walk into a hospital and every person, in, and, it, and not just beds and rooms, they got them in the hallways. They got them on cots. You can't walk in that. They got them outside in the parking lot. You know it could get like that? <clears throat> it could very easily get like this. This could be the most awesome, wildest plague that we've ever seen. But if we walk by faith and get people to repent of their sins and tell them, listen, how are you walking? I'm a child of God. I know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have walked holy in His presence. I have done what that book says, and no devil of hell and no plague and no sickness can touch me. And that's how I'm walking in complete divine health. And that cannot be made sick. It takes a real person of faith to believe these words. I mean, it takes a man or a woman of faith to believe that. But I believed that 20-something years ago. And in 20 years, I've walked in divine health. Everybody around me knows I've walked in divine health. They know I don't have no sickness, no weakness. I go 90 miles an hour every day of my life. I can do it. Strong as a bull ox. In the name of Jesus, because the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not weak. I am strong because He's my strength. When you start living by faith, you're living by the Word. You're living in the Word of God. You're living holy and clean and pure. Now then, 
What if you say, well, I know that I've heard some of these things, but you know, a little stealing here, or a little cheating here, or a little adultery on my wife here, you know, God won't never mind that. And you, you die at 50? Well, it's just a coincidence. No, it was no coincidence. He said, and the wicked shall be cut off early. Now, who could be wicked? Could a Christian be wicked? Sure. You make a choice to sin. And if you make a choice to be holy, then God will protect you. And just like my son came in the other day, he said, Dad, he said, I couldn't have worked. There's no way I could have put together what's coming together in my business. He said, I am being blessed beyond my wildest dreams. I said, son, did the king say, if you'll put him first in everything you do? I said, you're doing it. You're studying the Word. Hours you're spending studying the Word. Teaching Bible study classes. You're putting God first. You're ministering to people out there in the name of the Lord Jesus every day. I said, so he's just blessing your socks off because you're an obedient son. I said, didn't I tell you he'd do that? He said, Dad, you did. But he said, it's beyond my wildest dreams what God is doing. Does God do what He said He'd do? Any company today that'll put God first in everything you do, I'm going to guarantee you that company can't help but be blessed. Can't help but be blessed. God says, I will command the blessings to overtake you if you're obedient. Now, how would you like for God to command the blessings to overtake you in your business? Huh? Now, what if God commands that you not be blessed because of your disobedience? There ain't nothing you can do when He puts you under a curse. Nothing. Except repent and come back to Him. And you may have to suffer the consequences. It may not be an instantaneous recovery. He may allow you to go through some time. He will definitely test you. But, if the... Faith shall live by, or the just shall live by faith. Then Romans ten seventeen and the King James says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, are you driving down the road listening to a CD or a tape about Jesus or the word of God? Have you got the Bible on tape? Have you got the Bible on CD? You got it in your player? Are you listening to it as you drive down the road? Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you are, you're doing what the King says. Right, Billy? Amen. That's, I mean, I do the same thing. Man, I've got my... Cheryl brought me a New Testament. Of course, I have wore out so many copies. I don't even know how many copies. I finally got the feeling bad. This outfit out in New Mexico, they have lifetime warranty on their tapes. So I ordered a set years ago. Lifetime warranty. After I wore them out three or four times, and they keep sending them to me. I thought, you know, Lord, I can't do this no more. I mean, you know, they didn't expect anybody to do what I do. You know, so lifetime more they have definitely lost money on me. So I was like, Lord, I can't do this. Next time I need a new set, I'll just order them and pay for them because I feel like, you know. I mean, most people buy the Bible on tape. They listen to it maybe one time, maybe, and then it's in the closet forever. But I listen to mine over and over and over and over. Warm out. When the tapes had come apart, break, whatever, I'd call them. They said, no problem. We'll send you a new one. And there's no telling how many they sent me different tapes until I... Come under conviction. Lord, I can't do this no more. I just call them and order a new set. But now then, I don't have to worry about that. i got my own recording equipment and everything. I can buy the tape and I can make me a set of masters. I offer my master. I can make me a set. When I wear them out, I throw them away and make me another set. See? So that's what I'm doing now. But it's not anything uncommon for me to put a CD in 
and listen to three, four, or depending on how long the book is, two, three, four, five books of the Bible over and over and over for a week. Just put one CD in it and just listen to it. Over and over, everywhere I go, just listen to it. You know? I mean, every once in a while, the Lord will touch your heart with something. Someone will just jump out of that radio at you. You think, wow, I never heard that before. And the Lord said, no, that's only the 37th time that's come by. I've been trying to get your attention that every time, but you wouldn't listen. Now, I know none of y'all are guilty of that but me. Huh? Yeah, you're just like me. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we need to be listening to it. So in the, the Living Bible, it says, yet faith comes from listening to the good news, the good news about Christ. That's what the Living Bible or the uh, NLT says. So then what is faith? What is faith? It is knowing the Word of God and then doing what it says. They don't do no good to know it. That's just like I've had people come up here, you know, say, I know adultery is wrong. And I knew it when I did it, but I did it. And now then, I've got a venereal disease. What do I do? What do you not understand when it says there's no more sacrifice for sin left after you have the knowledge of the truth and you go ahead and do it anyway? But only the fiery wrath of God, the judgment of God to come upon you. Will He forgive you? Sure. But you may have to go to a doctor and have surgery or take a bunch of medication or it may be one of those things that kills you prematurely and you may never get rid of it. Now, if you can get a person has enough faith, you can be healed one time. It's rare. It seems like it's so rare when I see people that are afflicted with different diseases that if they go back and get mixed up in that same sin again, that God don't heal them after the second or third time. Isn't that amazing that he, even he, his patience runs out? But some people think, well, I can just go do what I want to do. No, you can't either. Some of those things, the consequences will be there forever. Will he forgive you? Oh, yeah, you ask him, he'll forgive you. But he may not heal you. So don't take that chance. Don't take that chance, you know. So I've seen that many times. But sometimes he will. The Word says... The Word says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Say that and believe it and it is done. And you are saved. Did you, when you did that with your mouth and believed with your heart, according to Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, did you believe that? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart the Father raised Him from the dead? If you are, you are saved. How many of you in here besides me know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a Christian? I hope every one of you can hold up your hand. If you can't, before you leave tonight, you better get with me because you might not make it till tomorrow. And if you were to die, guess where you would go? To hell. It's that simple. So, you've got to say that and believe it and know it. So, if you ask somebody, are you a Christian? They say, well, I think so. No, they don't know Jesus. You really need... This is a faith thing. I hear people all the time say, well, you've tried everything else. Try Jesus. No, I, you don't, nobody tries Jesus. You do Jesus. You know, when you come to Jesus, you say, Lord, I'm through trying the world. It didn't work. 
Now then I'm going to come over and I'm going to do you. You know, I'm going to accept you as my Lord and Savior and I'm going to walk holy and straight down that line and I'm going to read the book and I'm going to do what it says. And when you do it, he does what he says. Just exactly. The word says, by his stripes you are healed. If you say this and believe it, you will be healed. Because it's written in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. If you if you got your sins repented of. Now, if you still got sins, you can say, by his stripes I'm healed all day long. And stay sick all of your life. It don't work, does it, brother? Not unless you repent. You know, not unless you repent. Then he says, the word says, the devil must be subject to you. Speak or command the spirits to leave you. Believe this and they will have to leave you, according to Luke ten twenty, providing you have your sins repented of. You know, you see all kinds of people. I've asked questions with professors and seminaries, and nobody will say that means what it says. Reversely, not. No, nobody ever did. One day I just made a decision. I said, Lord, I think you meant exactly what you said in your word. I don't need a rocket scientist or a Ph.D. or nobody else or a banker, or a farmer, or nobody. I just need to read it and take it at face value. And whatever it says, that's what you meant. I ain't going to try to explain away the Word of God. If it says it, I believe it. Now then, if I confess my sins, repent of my sins, and making sure I have got every sin repented of, then Luke 10.20 will work for me. Then I can command the spirits to leave me, and they'll go. But that woman, after I found out she had unforgiveness in her heart... And then I got her to confess and repent of her sin of unforgiveness toward her first husband, which had been mean to her when she repented. Then I looked up and said, Devil, now you have no legal right. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And in one heartbeat, he is gone. He never argued with me, never said another word, just left. And she was instantly set free, became a totally different woman. Then I got to lead her to Jesus, and then I got her healed. And when I left there that day, that Baptist preacher that called me and asked me to go over there with him, when we walked out of there, we went out and got in his car. He said, Thurman, I'd give anything I own if I'd had a video camera to put that on tape. He said, I have never seen anything like that in my life. He said, that was the most awesome thing. He said, when you were talking to that woman, you were so kind and gentle. But when you talked to, it looked like the same woman. But I could tell you were talking to the devil. He said, you were firm and forceful as a lion. And he said, I saw something today I've never seen in my life. But see, that's the spirit world. And it's there. And when you get a hold of this, hey, when you get a hold of the fact that, hey, you want a demon, just go out and sin. God will send him to you. Just like he did to Saul. Ain't no big deal. You know? I mean, the king did say, if you don't sin, you keep yourself evil. He said, Them devil, that devil can't touch you. That's what he said in First John five eighteen. My true children do not sin. Are you one of his true children? We sure are trying to be, aren't we? Yes, I'm trying to walk as holy as I know how. Because if there's anything I don't want to come to my house, it's a demon. I don't want to take one of them home with me when I go tonight. In fact, I get tickled at Cheryl every time we have a deliverance out there. After the deliverance over, she said, Did you cleanse and purify this minister center in the name of Jesus? Did you command them to stay away from my dog? <laughs> I mean, she don't want none of them critters. She has seen enough of them devils out there. The way they do, she don't want none of them out there. And I don't blame her. I don't want them out there either. It ain't no fun when you see what they do to people. 
So we don't want none of them hanging around our place. Now, we, we, we'll try to be hospitable to people, but we ain't going to try to be hospitable to demons. <laughs> we don't want none of them fellows in our ministry center. We want the place clean and pure. Now then, let's look at this faith in Genesis 15, 6. This is in the Living Bible. Now, the, the Living Bible has the word faith used in it many times, but the King James only a couple of times. But that's why I've used some of these. It translates words that mean faith, but it translates actually to the word faith. In the Living Bible, Genesis 15, 6, it says, And Abram believed God, then God considered him righteous on account of his faith. That's what he did. He was accounted righteous because of his faith. Now, today we're accounted righteous because of our faith in the king. In Jesus. And that's how we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So without the king and without the blood, you cannot be righteous. Under no conditions can you even approach the righteousness of God without the blood of Jesus. But in Genesis 22, 1, also in the Living Bible, it said, Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Surely the king wouldn't do you and me like that, David. He will, won't he? Later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. I hate it when we're tested like that. I don't like it. But there ain't a whole lot I can do about it except just go through the test. Now then, if I grumble and complain, I get to stay in the test for a long, long time. I got a perfect example from the word where the Hebrew children grumbled and complained and they didn't like it and they got to walk around in the desert for 40 years. And then after 40 years, they all died. And how many of them, how many of those that grumbled and complained that didn't believe got to enter the promised land? No, no, the ones that didn't do what he said. None of them. Not one single one of them. All of them died in the wilderness. Now the two you're talking about was the two that had faith. They're the two, but did them have? Did them two guys have to walk around out there in that forty years in the desert too? Yes, they did. But at least they got to reap the reward at the end. So let me tell you, you do not want to be around a lot of people that's not walking in faith. Because I don't want to walk around in the desert for forty years with them. I don't want to be out there. I want to be in a, with a group of faith people. You know, that's where that's where we need to get. And if there was ever a time. We need to truly learn to walk in faith. It's now. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're not going to be a faith walker, I got, I got serious information for you that in the next few months, or maybe, maybe quicker than we think, next few months to maybe a year, many of us might not be alive if we don't learn how to walk in faith. Because I believe with what I see on those government websites, I believe that avian flu is going to be here shortly. And when it does, who knows how fast it's going to spread. Scary if you're not a Christian and if you're not walking in faith. It really is scary. But if Abraham was tested, if Abraham tested, I mean, if God tested Abraham's faith and his obedience, if he did it to him and he's no respecter of persons, what's he going to do to you and me? He's going to test us too. We're going to be tested. He's going to check you out to find out what you're made out of. 
So don't grumble. Don't complain. Walk in faith. Go right through the test. Know His Word. There's only one way to pass the test, and that's to have the Word hidden in your heart. Because when your test comes, you ain't got time to go study the Word. You'll be in no condition to study the Word. I can tell you for sure, the, the morning that Betty and Amanda got killed in that car wreck, if I'd had to go to the Word to start studying when that police officer walked into a healing school that afternoon and told me, my wife and my daughter were both deceased, and my grandbaby and Kelly was laying over in a hospital in Fort Worth and probably might not live because they were both very, very critical. That's a pretty good test, isn't it? That's about the ultimate as far as I'm concerned. But first thing I did was thanked him and walked over to the group of people, a little group about this size. And I told them what happened. I said, I want us just to stop and worship the king. And that's what we did. We stopped and worshiped the king. And then I loaded up my stuff. I drove my pickup home. I picked up my son. And we went down to the hospital. And I walked in that place totally in control in the name of Jesus. And I told them what my king was going to do. Because I'd met the criteria. And everybody in that place thought I was crazy. But today, they don't. I mean, when Cheryl and I now take that little thing and run to the mailbox and back, or spent most of the time her and the dog, I mean, she takes Grandma, and they run a half a mile to the mailbox and a half a mile back. Let me tell you, a little girl that could not never move or couldn't breathe or couldn't do nothing, couldn't live under no condition, she's a whole lot alive, David. She's a little ball of fire, I'll tell you. So what can we do by faith? All things, right? Now, you believe that now, right? That's just not words. <laughs> I'm giving her a hard time tonight because we talked about something a while ago. Their faith is, can very seriously be tested in what they want to do. But if they'll do, if they'll trust God, he'll do it. Didn't he say all things are possible to you, young lady? Didn't he say that? Now, do you really believe him? Okay, praise God. <laughs> praise God. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll find out. <laughs> but see, when you really trust the king, when you really trust him, he'll do what he said he'll do. He's an awesome God. But he will put us to the test. He tested Abraham. Can you imagine when he came up to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son Isaac out there and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And he waited a long time for that little guy. Lots of years. And now he's got him and he's his pride and joy as a young man. Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham took that little guy up there and he said, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? He said, Son, God will provide the sacrifice. See, he's walking in faith, isn't he? He's walking in faith. And then he takes this little boy and he puts out all this wood, builds the altar and everything, and he said, Daddy, where is the sacrifice? He said, Son, crawl up on there. And little Isaac looked up at his daddy. and He's a grown man, young man, but he's grown. He crawls up on there and lays down. His daddy raises the knife. And his little son sat and looked. And Abraham believes that even if he has to kill him, God will raise him from the dead. And he starts down with that knife. And that angel reaches that hand out and says, You proved to me you really love me. 
it's over. You passed your test. I don't want to go through one like that, do you? <clears throat> oh, but Abraham had to. So, and he passed his test. And so then God did. They turned and looked, and there was a ram caught in the bush. And they took him and they sacrificed him to God. So if you don't think God will test your faith and your obedience, let me tell you, you've got a rude awakening coming. But you want to pass the test when he comes. You want to pass the test. If you pass it and you trust him, you will come through with flying colors. Then he says in Judges 2.17, Judges 2.17 says, Yet even then Israel would not listen to the judges but broke faith. They broke faith with Jehovah by worshiping other gods instead. Now then, do you want to break faith with him? Do you realize that if we go to church on Sunday and on Monday you don't talk about Jesus to nobody, you don't read his word, but you're real busy about doing the things of the world? You know, today you broke faith with Jehovah and made something else your God? Did you know that? That's how easy it is to prostitute yourself spiritually before God. Become a spiritual prostitute before the king. How would you like for God to, you know, just say, say you was out there on Monday afternoon, you thought you'd had a great day. You hadn't talked about Jesus. You hadn't told nobody about him. You hadn't read his word. You've just been so busy in your business. And you thought, man, I've really done good today. I made $1,000 today. I've really done great. Or maybe 100000 or whatever you do. You think, man, I really had a great day today. Wow, God must really be proud of me. You say, God, what do you think about me? He said, I think you're a whore. How would you like to hear the king call you that? I don't think I want to hear him call me that. He said, you were really involved in the world today. You didn't tell me you loved me this morning when you got up. You didn't bless a single thing you ate or drank today. And here you are sitting here this afternoon watching those movies and watching the news. And you hadn't even told me you loved me all day long. You've been totally engulfed in the world. He said, you're a prostitute. And we wonder why we're sick in the church. Wow. They broke faith with Jehovah by worshiping other gods instead how quickly they turned away from the true faith of their ancestors, for they refused to obey God's commands. God's commands. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Sanctify your food and bless it in the name of Jesus. How easy is it and how quick can we turn away from his commands? In a heartbeat, can't we, David? Just so easy. I mean, Cheryl and I, we're using each other as a sharpening stone or whatever one sharpens the other you know i may be talking to somebody or three or four people at a table and i'm mixing me a cup of tea you know and i'm just so involved in talking to them about jesus or whatever and i get my tea stirred up and all the stuff in and i reach over and get about halfway to my lips she says honey i said what she said you didn't bless that yet i said oh thank you thank you thank you. she's watching me see she's keeping me straight see that's a good woman she's keeping you straight Praise the Lord. Because you know how easy it is to forget God? You can forget Him in a heartbeat. And I, it's too easy. Really too easy. Then he says in the, <clears throat> Job 2.3 Job chapter 2 verse 3 
The Living Bible says, Well, have you noticed my servant Job? The Lord asked. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is a good man who fears God and turns away from all evil. And he has kept his faith in me. Despite the fact that you persuaded me to let you harm him without any cause. That's, that's the Living Bible translation. He kept his faith. God, that devil come to him and said, Lord, let me put old Job to the test down there. I'll show you he'll curse you to your face. He said, you've blessed him with everything. He's got everything. And that's why he serves you, because you bless him with ten beautiful children, a beautiful wife, and all the lands and the servants in there. And he's been blessed financially. That's why he serves you. You let me go down there and put some hurt on him, because I can't get to him, because you built a hedge around him. How'd you like for God to build a hedge around you? I love it. I love it. But he said, you take that hedge down, you let me go down and let me put some hurt on that man, and I'll show you that man will curse you to your face. God says, okay, I'll let you put him to the test. You can do anything you want to him, but you can't touch him. You can touch anything else. And boy, when the devil got that legal right, the first thing he did is kill all ten of his children. Is that a pretty good test, brother? That'd be a pretty good test. Why didn't he kill his wife? <laughs> Needed at least one grumbler, right? <laughs> Needed at least one grumbler. So that's why the devil didn't kill his wife. He killed him ten beautiful children, but he didn't kill his wife because she was going to be the one to do all the grumbling and complaining. I mean, here, can you imagine your wife say, you've sinned, I know you just go ahead and curse God and die. He said, woman, can't we receive good from God and evil from God? I mean, I'm not turning my back on the king. And he didn't. So God allowed him to be put to the test. Do you want to be put to the test like that? I do not want to be put to the test like that. I come as close to that as I ever want to come. I don't want to get no no further. I, I, it's awful what the devil does. Psalms 25.3 Psalms 25.3 None of those who have faith in God will ever be disgraced for trusting Him. But all who harm the innocent shall be defeated. I love that. When I read that, I thought, man, that's a great verse. None of those who have faith in God. Now, who does that include? That's all of us that have faith in God, that are walking in obedience to His Word. None of those who have faith in God will ever be disgraced for trusting Him. Now, the world may say all kinds of crazy things about you. I mean, I got fired from a job I'd been at it 29 years. Of course, it, a lot of it was with three different corporations because they sold three times, you know, or two times, three different companies. And the last bunch, a bunch of young guys that didn't know Jesus, and I was so bold and so vocal, they told me to quit talking about Jesus, and I just flatly told them, no. They said, we'll fire you. I said, fine. Go ahead. I don't work for you anyway. I work for the king of the universe and his name Jesus. I said, until he's ready for me to leave here, there ain't nobody in this place can fire me. And the head of HR, he couldn't fire me until the time came, when the time come. Finally, they come over and said, Thurman, you've got to stop talking about Jesus or you're out of here. And I said, nope, I ain't going to stop. And that lady said, well, here's your, here's your letter. We'll terminate you for five reasons. Every one of them had something to do about Jesus. 
nothing to do about my job. Nothing. When they hand me a letter, I looked at it, and I said, glory to God, praise the king. And this, well, she's this lady, she said, I don't understand you. Here you got it. You're, you're out of a job. Said you had a good job. You were a regional engineer. You were making good money. I said, hey, the king pays my salary. I don't have any idea what he's got for me, but I know he ain't kicking me out of this unless he got something a whole lot better. I bought $3,000 worth of CDs today. I do that every week. Sometimes it's $5,000. When I was working for the company, I couldn't buy three to $5,000 and pay a half a dozen people's salary on what I made. But I can now. I can now because guess who's paying my way? The king. He pays for all this stuff. We're about his business. You know, you know. I couldn't take two trips to Europe in three weeks before. But we're going to make two trips to Europe in three weeks. In the next three weeks, Cheryl and I was going to London. Then we're going to Ireland. And we're going to talk about the Word for a week over there. Then we're coming back on Friday. We're going to be back a week. And then we're going to Europe. And we're going to Zurich. And I'm going to preach to 25 to 40 pastors for two days. Then I'm going to have a healing school to 400 people. And then we're going to have another uh, Monday. On Monday... We're going to, when we do go over there, I'm going to be teaching 20 to 40 pastors in the morning and speaking in a church at night. The next day, 20 to 40 pastors and another church. And the next day, the same thing all day long with these guys and all night long with these guys. And then we're going to come home on Friday and I'm going to teach a healing school on Saturday. Anybody want to go with me? Praise God. You know. I've had people tell me, I don't, you can't do that. I said, oh, yes, I can in the name of Jesus, I can do anything. I'll have more fun with them guys, and I'll teach them what God showed me. And I'm going to tell you, when I come back, the devil ain't going to like me. Because I'm going to open up Europe in the name of Jesus. I'm going over there to do it. Because I work for the king. I work for the king. Praise God. And besides that, Cheryl's going to hold my hand and fly along on my coattails. She's going to get to see places she had never seen before in her life. <laughs> the only one thing she said, she said, those uh, suitcases full of uh, materials, media, CD, DVDs, and all that stuff, tapes we're taking. She said, those suitcases would be empty coming back, so that means I can bring back stuff for people. I said, whoa. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, you girls, I know. She said, you can't go to Europe and not bring things back for your loved ones. I said, I can't. <laughs> uh, but not a woman. Not a woman. They're going to be bring things back. So she, she's going to become an international traveler real quick here. Praise God. All those play- Oh, yeah, they're going to sing. Or in fact, we're going to take her daughter with us, too. Christy's going. She's going to sing, you know, and everything. And so, uh, I mean, Christy's going to get to go to Europe. You know, she's going to have lots of fun, too. And we're going to see the Lord do great and wonderful things. But then it says here, uh, Psalms 81.7 is the next one. Psalms 81.7. It says, he said, you cried to me in trouble and I saved you. I answered from Mount Sinai where the thunder hides. I tested your faith at Meribeth when you complained there was no water. This God that we serve, do you think he would test our faith? He says he will, doesn't he? So don't grumble and complain when he tests your faith, when he put, gives you a test like he did me that day, when they told me, you're terminated, and I said, praise God. 
Praise the king. I mean, you, the world don't understand that. They thought I was going to fall apart and say, please, I'll stop talking about Jesus. I need my job. I fooled their socks off. I just jumped up and down and said, praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that lady, I'll never forget that lady. I don't understand you. I said, I know that, ma'am. I'm a child of God, and I never work for this company. I have always worked for the king of the universe. He just paid my salary through you guys. But now he is through with me with you guys, and now it's on to bigger and better things, and I can't wait to see what Jesus has got for me next. You know, it's been fun. It's been a continuous building and changing and and seeing great things happen and seeing miracles and, and walking in places beyond my wildest dreams. It's just awesome. And the other day, I got tickled. One of the guys come to me and I just said, you know what we need to do? I said, what? He said, we need to buy an airplane. I said, oh, my God. He said, you're a pilot. I said, yeah, I know. I know. But I said, you know, you don't have any idea what it costs to maintain an airplane and to keep it hangered and all this kind of stuff. But he said, Thurman, you're starting to go on so many of these little trips around here. Abilene, you know, to Odessa, Missouri, Arkansas. We already got all those trips scheduled in the next few weeks. Those are places we're going to go locally to speak and all this kind of stuff. He said, you need an airplane. You could go a whole lot faster. So I went home. I thought, Lord, am I going to get back into the airplane business again? <laughs> so we, we, I looked at several airplanes the other night. And, of course, right now, right now, I looked at one that would do, I mean, I, you know, I told Cheryl, I said, you know, really, I had a Mooney one time years ago because I traveled by myself nearly all the time. A Mooney's a sleek little airplane. They're little, but they're, but they're fast. And if you're only in by yourself, no big deal. You know, so anyway, I flew a Mooney, had one, I flew it about 500 hours, and I thought, you know, if I had a, a little bit bigger one, I had a Mark 20, an older version, but I said, you know, if I had an executive, they're a little bit wider, not much, and they're a little longer, they'll hold more, uh, and they'll carry four people, pretty comfortable, you, you go three or four hours, man, you can go some distance, because they cruise about 190, you know, 190 to 200, at, you know, at 15,000, and you cover some ground at 200 knots, 200 miles an hour. You really can't. Uh, you know, in three hours, you can go 600 miles. And, of course, that's equivalent to seven or 800 miles on the highway. So you can really cover some ground in a hurry. I know because driving from here to Comata Valley, where my farm used to be, it would take me 10 to 12 hours to drive down there in a pickup. I could be down there in that Mooney in two hours and 15 minutes to two hours and 20 minutes. Many a morning, I'd get up at 5, go out there and be in my airplane. At 6 and 8 o'clock, I'd be in the fields down there cutting or bailing alfalfa hay. Can you imagine that? You know, that's, that's crazy. You know, God do that kind of stuff. But I did that, you know, and I loved it. I told her, I said, you know, I really think that most of the time just she and I would be going. Sometimes Christy would be going, but that's still only three, so there'd be plenty of room for a little baggage. So I said, I looked at an executive 21 the other night that was about $78,000. I told her, I said, you know, if somebody dropped $78,000 in my lap, I'd go down to San Antonio and buy that airplane and bring it up here, and I'd keep it. But I said, when God gets ready for me to have that, he'll give it to me. So I ain't going to worry about it. I ain't going to think about it. Or who knows? He might do me like he did one of the other preachers I know one day and give him even a bigger one than that. <laughs> you know, I did go in and look at what a uh, Citation, twin-engine, seven-passenger, about the cheapest one of those I saw was $3 million. They went on up to twelve. You know, so I thought, I don't think I'm ready for that, Lord, yet. 
I'm not, although I got the license to fly those, you know, but I'm not ready for a citation jet. Yeah, I don't think, you know. So anyway, never know. You never know what God's going to do. But anyway, he's the king and he pays the bill, so you don't never sweat nothing, you know. But right now, if I had a, if I had an executive Mooney, I think for a little while, you know, uh, one of those would be absolutely wonderful. And uh, but I don't know. We'll just see what God does. Then it says here. Let's go on to the next one. We were at. Let's go to Daniel eleven thirty one. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. Now, all these verses I pulled out of the Living Bible. I went through and looked about, looked up these words, faith. And like I say, in the, in the King James, it was only a couple of places in the Old Testament it was used. But many places it was used, and it fits the criteria in the Old Testament. But in Daniel 11:31, Daniel 11:31, it says, And pollute the sanctuary, putting a stop to the daily sacrifice, and worshiping idols, Inside the temple, he will leave godless Jews in power when he leaves, men who have abandoned their father's faith. This is the Antichrist that's coming to power in these last days. This Antichrist is coming to power. They will pollute the sanctuary or the church, the, t- the place where people worship putting a stop to the daily sacrifices and worshiping idols inside the temple. You know, the church has a tendency to do that in lots of churches. We worship what we have instead of God. We worship the buildings. We worship things inside the building instead of the king of the universe. We do the same things to a degree. And it says there, he will leave godless Jews in power when he leaves. I think about how many godless men that's in power in different organizations and different churches. When you can take a church that says it's okay to ordain a homosexual pervert as a minister or a deacon in a church, you've got a godless group that's running that. They don't believe this book. Is that right, brother? Wow. A bunch of godless men in church. We've got a lot of them out there today. You know, that's just like when that couple come to me here a while back and said, you know, a few years ago we went to our pastor. We started going together and we fell deeply in love with each other, but because her divorce was not final. My wife died, he said, but her divorce was not final. And so we wanted to move in together and live with each other like man and wife before we could be married for the simple reason we couldn't get married until her divorce was final. So we went to our pastor and asked him if that would be okay. And their pastor said, because you're going to get married... It will be okay. And so they moved in together. They had a godless man give them counsel that was very ungodly. And only God, and of course, 
Cheryl and I now know the devastating things that happened to that family in the next few years. Devastating things happened to them because they moved in together. A Christian woman and a Christian man moved in together for about six months, lived as man and wife. And the devastation that came up on that family in the years ahead was awesome. They had no idea what caused it, but it was their sin. But once they got that sin repented of and confessed it, God forgave them, and everything they had lost was restored. But it was years later. They sure did pay dearly for what they did. Dearly. Wow. Malachi 2.15. Malachi 2.15. You were united to your wife by the Lord in God's wise plan. When you married, the two of you became one person in his sight. And what does he want? From a man and woman married, he wants godly children from your union. Therefore, guard your passion. Keep faith with the wife of your youth. Keep faith to the wife of your youth. If God told you to do that, do you think he meant business? Yes, he does. Keep faith with the wife of your youth. You know how many marriage and divorces there should be? In a church, if a man and a woman was both Christian when they got married, you know how many divorces there should be? Zero. Should be none. Never. Never. We should never have one. You know? Like I tell people, if you can't get along with the one you got, they ain't used to marrying another, and you can't get along with her either. If you've been through three or four or five of these things, forget it. You are, you have something wrong with you. You have something wrong with you if you can't get along with a woman. You know, if you divorce one, there's something wrong with you. You know, probably something wrong with both of you. But if you've been married three, two, three, four, five times and you can't find one you can keep, then you need to make some kind of a change because what you've been doing is not working. When you do it God's way, you'll find one and you can live with her forever. You'll love her. She'll love you. Is that right, Donna? That's right. That's right. You two made it all right, didn't you? How many years y'all been married? Thirty-six. Thirty-six. Oh, you had. To, oh, you had to have your grandparents' permission to get married, huh, David? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But when a couple get married that both love Jesus and walk together and serve God together, you've had thirty-six years of pretty good marriage, right? Not to say there hadn't been a little bump or two somewhere along the line, but not too bad. Little bitty ones, you know, little bitty ones. Praise God. So that's what it's supposed to be right there. But unfortunately, because of our wickedness and our lack of knowledge and everything else, and because of men and women, and of course I have several women that fall in love with some guy that's not a Christian. And they come to church saying, Thurman, can I marry this man? I said, bring him here and let me talk to him. And they bring him. Sometimes they won't come. So sometimes I go to them. Now, I ain't a Christian. I'm not going to be one. You know, I like to do what I like to do. And I tell the wife right in his presence, you need to get rid of him. You know, you need to find you another one. He's not the one for you. And they tell me, well, some guy you are. I said, well, I know men. I happen to be one. I know without Jesus what you can be like. And I know she ain't going to have no fun with you. Because the first time you go out and get drunk or you beat her or you throw her through a wall or anything else, you go down to the bar and get wiped out. Or you decide to sleep around with some other woman. I said, you're going to break her heart. 
And she's a child of God. And you're a child of the devil. And the Word of God says you and her are not to be yoked together. And some of those women go ahead and marry those guys anyway. And then you know what they tell me? Six months later or a year later? Oh, God, if I'll only listen to what you said. Is that some of y'all have been through those. You know what I'm talking about. You married an unbeliever because you thought he was, wow, something else. Well, let me tell you, he was something else. He was a devil. That's what he was. He was a devil. Now then, but the Lord tells you, you are to keep faith with the wife of your youth. So when you're a young man, you marry a young woman, you and her are to make a commitment to each other forever. That's the way God said it. And out of that, he wants godly children, and you can't raise godly children if you and your mate are not godly men and women. If, you're, if daddy, if he's a godly man and walks in obedience to the word, then them children will follow right down his path. If he is not a godly man, them children will follow right down his path. And so you'll raise children that you won't enjoy being with. You won't enjoy the times they break your heart and everything else, all because of you. You were the problem. Now, if you want godly children, you've got to teach them the Word. You've got to get in there. You've got to be that godly parent. You've got to read the Word to your children. You've got to be the example to those children of what God is because they're going to think God is exactly like you as they grow up. You are going to be the picture of God, and what they think of God is whatever you are like. That's what they're going to look at God like. So if you were mean and wicked and everything else, then... They're going to believe God is just like that. And so it's going to be very hard to bring them into the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. Get over into the New Testament. Matthew 6, 30. Matthew 6, 30. This is, all these are the living Bible because they're so clear. You'll see the same meaning. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't He more surely care for you? Oh, you of little faith. That's powerful, isn't it, David? I mean, it's so powerful. When you think about that, do you think God loves you? Of course. That's just like Cheryl talked about her dog. You know, one of the, some of the other ladies, like Deborah, will talk about her dog. You know, God spoke to her, I think, one day over her dog or something. She is so concerned about, and the Lord says, Deborah, how can you trust me in the big things if you can't trust me with the little things? Oh, that butter, that broke her heart, butter to the, oh, God, Lord, I'm sorry. I trust you for everything. It's hard, isn't it, Deborah? Sure, it is, even when the Lord talks to you and says, can't you trust me? How do you think you can trust me with the big things if you can't trust me with just your little animal. Don't you think I love that little puppy more than you do? Did you know the king says, do you know not even a sparrow falls to the ground except he knows it? He says, oh, you of little faith. That's what he'd say to you and me, Deborah. You know that? Oh, quickly. Yeah, you just like me. I can only imagine some of the things I've done. The king would say, I thought you had faith. Oh, you of little faith. You're not trusting me at all. Can you imagine what he would say to us most of the time? Wow. Oh, you of little faith. Matthew 8.10. Matthew chapter 8. This is an awesome scripture when you read the whole story about what that man did there. And after this man did this magnificent thing, 
It so pleased the king. Jesus stood there amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. How would you like the king to show up and say, Wow, David, what a statement. I haven't seen such faith like that in nobody in Dallas-Fort Worth. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that like, is that what we'd like to hear him say? Amen. That's exactly right. Now then, the king can be made happy with your faith. So whatever you do, make sure you do everything in faith. So if you walk in faith, walk in love, do what the Lord says, walk holy in his presence, don't veer off to the left or to the right in no kind of sin, study the word, watch your mouth, talk holy things, don't say anything that will curse anybody, bless everybody, and pray for everybody. And when the plague hits this country, which is going to hit, not too distant future, you will have absolutely nothing to fear. 